Now, threshing's fascinating. You know, uh, the wheat's taken and, and, and it's, it's threshed and the kernels drop to the threshing floor. Those are the kernels that are valuable, that can be eaten, and the chaff blows away. And, and in the Hebrew mindset, it's like kind of thresh our hearts, thresh our minds, and, and, and keep the kernels of what God's truth is. And let blow away the chaff of those things that can draw us away, that can distract us, that can warp what we see, what we hear, the motives of our lives. In other words, don't get blown away by the storms and the challenges and the temptations, but have those kernels of God's truth within us. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Choices, and it was based on Psalm 1. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. About 27 years ago, I was driving a bus that was filled with high school students on the way to a retreat for a weekend. Uh, So we left Portland, Oregon, and we were climbing the Cascades to go to central Oregon to the plateau. And and so as we're driving, it's it's a winding two-lane highway. that, that winds its way up the mountainside. There's guardrail in some places, but not in most. And as we're driving along, suddenly we entered into a fog bank that was so thick and so dense, it's one of three fog banks that I've ever driven in that was so dense, you, you just really couldn't see anything. And I'm driving along on this winding highway on these really cliff roads with all these students behind us. I'd slowed down to maybe 10 miles an hour. And they're saying, Greg, why are you going so slow? I didn't even listen, right? Because I was fixed on one thing, the little reflective yellow stripe down the middle of the highway. And I was just focused on it. And I got to tell you, it was really stressful with the lives of all these students. And then we reached an altitude that we came out of the fog bank. Great, we started to speed up, but then we had to come down the other side and we entered back into the fog bank. And once again, here's this winding road just following the little reflective yellow stripe. Sometimes our life can feel like that, can't it? Because sometimes our world can feel pretty foggy, can't it? As a matter of fact, we face more choices than any other generations in human history. We face more choices that come at us more quickly and more information and more static than any generations could have ever imagined in the past. Now, that's a great blessing in in some ways. We we have the freedom to make so many choices, so many different decisions. We have so much information at at our disposal, but it's also um, anxiety-ridden, isn't it? Because all these decisions, all this information, whoosh, you know, like, what info should I really believe, right? Because it's, okay, when I log on, right, to the web or my news feed or in the classroom, I think, you know, what what do I really believe? Who do I really believe? What's what's really factual, if there's even fact anymore? Uh, Who should I choose as my friends? Because, you know, show us our friends and that'll have a big impact on the direction of our future. Which school should I go to? Now, what major should I choose? Should I take out loans? If so, how many loans? You know, should I go to that party? There's a number of friends there, but I'm not sure if that's the best. 
environment? Should I take that job offer? Should we move to that city? Should I date that person? Uh, if we begin dating, what, you know, what, what kind of sexual boundaries should we have? Should we get married? If we get married, should we have children? How many children? How should we raise those children? How much should we spend? How do we make ethical purchases that bless the world rather than plundering the world? Oh, how should I vote? Uh, how should I prioritize my... I'm, I'm exhausted just, just listing it, right? Isn't that what life sometimes feels like for us? Just throughout the day, there's just more choices and choices and decisions, and it can just be exhausting for us, and it can be foggy. Well, here's the truth. Wise choices are most often the pathway to blessing. It isn't a guarantee, but wise choices most often lead to blessing, blessing for ourselves and blessing for the people we share life with. And our dumb decisions so often lead to pain, regret, guilt, and wreckage for the people who we love. What we need is like the reflective stripe, right? We need a sense in the midst of all of the, kind of a beacon to call us to make wise choices that will bless our future and bless the people we share life with. We're in the midst of a sermon series through September, Built to Last. We're exploring four ingredients to help us to be able to build a faith that can guide us today and that will last for a lifetime, built to last. And today we come to the theme of choices. Because our lives are, are really the product, in many ways, of the choices we make and the choices often that other people make. Let's go to the wisdom of Psalm. Psalm 1, it's in the Blue Bible in front of you on page 532. I'm going to ask everyone to turn either in your Bible, on your device, or the Blue Bible. Psalm 1, page 532. For those who are worshiping uh, online, because we're a church in the house here and uh, in many different locations, uh, find Psalm 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1, the wisdom of Psalms, ancient wisdom that has stood the test of time. Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. 26 Psalms begin with this kind of formula, blessed is the person. They're called the blessing psalms. And what these 26 psalms really are about is how to get blessed by God. I want to be blessed. So I want to pay attention when God says, here's some ways to be blessed. Now, it's no guarantee because we live in a fallen, damaged, bruised, depraved world and we can't control everything. But what we can control is our decisions and at least mix that into the equation. It's kind of like how to be blessed. And in Psalm 1... The answer is, it's about the choices we make. But Psalm 1 begins with a caution. Notice in verse 1 that there's three verbs. Walk, stand, and sit. Do you see progression there? Now, we've all probably seen or been part of conversations where we're, where we're walking along. You know, it's, it's just a casual conversation. We're walking along. And then the conversation deepens. And we often stop and and we stand and we talk together. We, we probably ha have seen people all over campus or coming in and out of coffee shops or in our neighborhood or apartment complex, and, and they, they're having a conversation, and they've stopped, and they're standing face-to-face. -face. It's, it's, it's a little bit deeper progression than just walking along together. And then sometimes when the conversation becomes more influential, when it goes deeper, we go sit down somewhere and we have coffee together and we have a deeper conversation. 
walking, standing, sitting. And the application is that we're aware of the subtle progression that can happen of some of the temptations around us or because of our broken, damaged, depraved hearts, how easily our loves can be disordered in our lives and how subtly we can make decisions that really wander astray to our values and to what God calls us to. Here's how this really applies. Are we taking a walk with temptations? You know, it, it, it seems harmless. It's just kind of flirting a little with that temptation or that thought or, or that person or, or what we're watching or whatever it is. And it's, it's, it's just that little kind of walk with, with temptation. But we know it'll never go in, anywhere, right? But then one day we kind of wake up and we realize, now I'm like standing face to face with this influence and it's becoming more influential. And then someday we kind of wake up and we say, I'm, I'm sitting in the middle of this now. How, how did this happen? It's that subtle progression where we're walking, we're standing, we're sitting with whatever it is. Rather it's you know, some kind of a, a sin, rather it's a habit, um, rather it's a relationship that we know is toxic and not best for us. We've probably all known people, haven't we? People who, who we love, it may have been us in different times, who, who, who are kind of subtly seduced. We might have seen it before our eyes, or we might have not seen them for a while, and then we realize, wow, they've changed. And it was like they, they started to become, or we started to become kind of subtly seduced. And there was this kind of a progressive persuasion, and then someday we or they kind of woke up, and there's like, man, what am I doing here? It's just, and the wreckage begins to happen. It was that slow, subtle, like we almost didn't know. Matter of fact, so often, we're the last to know. The people around us often see it, but we're often the last to know because we have blinders on because we're kind of swirling in it. And this is where God is challenging us to do some diagnostics. All right? What's amazing is with, with our cars, with our automobiles, is that when something's happening or even for routine maintenance, we can take it into the mechanic and they connect it to a probe and there's a readout of everything, exhaust system, electrical system, the mechanical system, I mean everything. There's this readout, there's this diagnostic. Or when we go in and we have a COVID test, I don't know about you, I mean, I'm glad we have COVID tests, let's keep on saying, but are you worn out of COVID tests? Are you worn out of sticking those things way up into the back of your nose and then you sneeze and whatever? But I'm sure glad we have them, but why, why do we stick that thing up into our nose? Because we want the diagnostic, don't we? We want to know, rather we're positive or negative, hopefully negative, right? It's like a school exam. Students, I'm sorry so early in the semester to use the word exam, okay? But think about it. What's a school exam really for? Now, now you may think it, it's this evil tool to, to, to damage you, but really a school exam is to do a diagnostic to see how much do we, have we mastered this Material, that's what it really is. Or when our computer does a diagnostic for viruses, right? And so what this is really saying, what Psalm 1 is reminding us in relation to our choices, to our decisions, is that we do some diagnostics with God's Spirit and ask God, would you check for viruses? God, what's going on in the theater of my thoughts? God, what's the center of gravity of my heart? God, are there habitual things that I'm starting to walk with or maybe getting closer to stand with or maybe I'm even sitting in. 
and that we slow down in our fast-paced lives filled with static and information and decisions and just do a little bit of diagnostics. How am I doing in the choices that I'm making and the influences that are around me? But how can we know then? How, how can we know what that kind of reflective stripe is? Well, in verse 2, there's a huge contrast. It says, but. That's a word of contrast. But, his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, they meditate day and night. So here's, but the word, you know, contrasting. And it's, will we be shaped more by the world around us? Just whatever the dominant paradigm of our culture, whatever the stream of our society, will we be more influenced by the world or by the word? By God's wisdom. Will we be more influenced by Christ or by the culture around us? Now, often those align, and, and that's beautiful, but sometimes they clash. And it can be subtle, and we cannot even really notice it sometimes until we look back, unless we're doing diagnostics on our own lives, our hearts, our minds, our influences, our decisions. And so in verse 2, the call is to delight in God's law. So here's really the question. What's the delight of our heart? Because whatever our hearts delight in, that, that will shape us. We'll begin to pursue that. It'll, it'll be like a magnet for us and draw us whatever is the delight of our heart, the affections of our heart. What's showing in the theater of our thoughts? Because our minds are a gateway that then shape the appetites of our hearts, that then influence our will, which determines our actions, and that's really the stuff of our lives. And so it all begins with the heart and what's going on in our minds. And so a resource that God gives us still in verse 2 is to meditate on God's law. I just love this word meditate. Probably one of my top, I don't know, 20 Hebrew words of the Old Testament. It's, it's the Hebrew word chagah. And literally the word means for like cattle chewing cud. Okay? And that's the etymology of it. The portrait is like here's this cow chewing cut, bleh, bringing it back up, chewing it, bleh. I mean, it, it's gross. And then we drink the milk, but anyway. So it's like, bleh, right? Bleh. And, I mean, everybody's going to have water today, right? Is it, bleh, you know, and, and regurgitate. And it's like, do that with God's truth. It's like regurgitate it, chew on it, meditate on it, keep bringing it back up. Have it become something that moves toward the center of gravity of our hearts and of our minds so that God's Spirit at just the right moment brings that up to us to be strong and to have that reflective stripe in the midst of the fog. Well, how, how often should we be like regurgitating or chewing on God's truth? Well, look at the end of verse 2. It says day and night. When we arise in the morning, what's the first thing that we do? Isn't it easy for us the first thing that we do? And, and, and I don't want to be like... I don't know, like kind of fundamentalist on, on this, but, but I mean, just kind of think about this. Is the first thing when we get up, we check our phone, we check social media, we check what, and already, and you know, our to-do list, and already our minds are like, boom, right? Or do we kind of pause? Maybe a little prayer. Maybe we read part of a psalm. Maybe we just, you know, whatever it is, just something to go, before we engage and life starts whining. When we're in the shower, what are our minds really thinking about? When we're on our commute, what's, what's, what's regurgitating? What's, you know, what are we chewing on? You know, when we're bored in class, or bored with a sermon, but I know that that won't happen, what, what, what are we thinking about before we go to bed at night? 
And then also this, to make appointments with God. There may be times, uh, there's not a lot, but, but there may be times when you, you know, uh, request to get together with me and you recommend daytime, and not a lot, but once in a while, I say, you know what, I, I have an appointment then, could we meet there? And what you don't know is, I have an appointment with God to read and study and reflect. Because I've got to be in the Word, because if I'm not, my mind, my mind will go places and the appetite of my heart will go astray. Man, I need to be in Scripture. I'm not talking about learning Hebrew and Greek and getting up at four in the morning. And I mean, that'll last two days, right? I'm just, even if it's five minutes a day, something where we're just connecting with Scripture. Or maybe it's listening to worship songs as we commute. Or, you know, maybe it's one of the many different sites that will send us a few verses each. You know, whatever works for us to just get God's truth ruminating within us so that then in those moments God's Spirit has God's truth to leverage for us. Matter of fact, here, here's the truth. If we don't know the Bible firsthand, I don't mean PhD in it, but I mean just if we don't have a growing grasp of Scripture, our faith is secondhand. It means this. If... if if we, and, and, and what could be more important eternally than our faith? But if we don't have at least a growing grasp of Scripture, here's what happens. Then you're basically, you have no plumb line. You have no lens to look through with what I say, or what you hear in the classroom, or when you go online to research. Does that make sense? You're totally saying, I'll just, I mean, do we do that with just about anything else in our lives? Don't we do research? Don't we really want to know and not just, I'm going to blindly trust? Now, certainly there's people we can trust more, but how important it is for us to have a biblical lens, a biblical world to look through, to evaluate everything that happens in our lives. Let me remind you too, if you're thinking like, oh my goodness, I, I haven't spent much time in Scripture. I, hey, I didn't spend any time in Scripture till I was a junior in college. I had no idea... I'd only looked at a Bible one time in my life before I was a junior in college. It, it, it's never too late. Just start spending a few minutes a day. If you skip a day, don't sweat it. Go to the next day. And just allow God's truth to, to ruminate within us, to, to, to shape us and, and to mold us. Well, <clears throat> verse 3 talks about the benefit of when we have God's truth within us and we have deeper roots. Look at verse 3. He or she, meaning the person who meditates on God's law. So those who meditate on God's truth <clears throat> is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. This is a description of a person's mind that has a reservoir filled with God's truth because there will be those seasons of drought. We all have them, don't we? Where we have those spiritual droughts. We feel like we're in the spiritual wilderness where God feels distant. And if there's not uh, a reservoir that's filled with God's truth and with training the affections of our hearts, uh, that's where so often we can become parched, we can become vulnerable, and that's where we so often make some of the worst choices of our lives. <clears throat> it's a portrait of a tree that has deep roots that go down to be nourished by the streams and that bears fruit. This is like people who, 
who in the choices that we make are spiritually nourished with the depth of God's truth, who have deep roots of faith when the storms come. You know, the storms of doubt, the storms of trauma, the storms of temptation. When those storms come, we have deep roots. Uh, uh, The tree may still lose some leaves and lose some limbs. It it may get battered, but there's a, a deep foundation of faith and of understanding God's truth and of training our hearts to have our greatest affection for God. And as we do that more and more, those are deeper roots for the storms of life. And then we're also able to bear fruit and be a blessing to others. I know about you, but I, I, I want to I be a blessing. I want to leave behind someday people would say, Greg was a blessing, right? And I think it takes a lot of deep roots to grow more Christ-like, to have a servant heart and a more generous heart and to see the things that God wants us to see through Christ's lens to be that kind of blessing for other people. Several years ago, a a storm came through our neighborhood. There was about a four to six block width microburst that came through. And through that microburst, I mean, trees were just shredded. Some of them literally, not just not just were uprooted, but someone literally snapped, okay? But a lot of them were uprooted, middle of the night. Here's this howling storm, and we hear, you know, the ground. And we look out, and the neighbor's huge pine tree had fallen across the street into our yard. We lost part of a tree, and just all over the neighborhood, and for several blocks. I mean, trees were down everywhere, okay? And so the next morning, you know, the neighbors came out, and we're all looking at the trees that are down. And what was fascinating was... In our, in, our, in our neighborhood, a, 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 about 39 years ago, I think, um, a bunch of pine trees were all planted as kind of a windscreen and to give the neighborhood, you know, a little bit of character. <clears throat> and, you know, when you plant a tree, let's say it's a three or four foot tree, it comes in a burlap bag, right? And, and it's tied so that all of the soil and the roots will stay there. And then you put it in the ground, you, un, you untie the bag, they had forgotten to untie the bag. And so they all had a rope around them. And so we were able to see with the trees that had fallen, wow, here's this deep root system. Here's this maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 foot high, you know, whatever it is, um, pine tree. And, and just under the surface, it would come down to about a three inch little, okay, in other words, beneath the surface, it had been weakened. And when the storms came, phew, those trees came down. I think that's a challenge for you and me. What, what's beneath the surface? What's beneath the surface in my mind? What's beneath the surface in my heart? Because whatever's going on there, that will eventually have an impact of how strong or vulnerable we are. And it also calls for us to be in community, to be together, to have real relationships, to, to help hold each other's you know, lives together. I want to give one last caution before we move down to the last part of this passage. And um, Remember, trees take years to grow. Our neighbor's tree, so back then the age, you know, it was probably 34, 35 years old when it fell. Okay, you know, 30, 40 years for a tree to reach its full height. A storm comes and in an instant it's down. Our lives can be like that. We can be taking a lifetime building our faith, our character, our career, our family, our status, whatever it is, right? And you know, in those times, it can come crashing down, can it? 
It's a challenge for us to ask, what's beneath the surface of my life? And to ask, what are the changes I need to make in having God's truth within me about being in, in real community where we can talk about things, about training my mind, about asking, doing the diagnostics of my heart's affection? Well, <clears throat> here's the consequences. So here are the blessings for those who, who, who are growing deeper roots. But now the other side, here's the consequences when we don't. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. What a contrast between a tree that is solid and deep and strong in storms and chaff that gets blown away by the wind. It's the difference between having a foundation of faith and making choices that are blown around by the winds of our culture. And that'll be an ongoing challenge for the rest of our lives, to train ourselves in that. Now, threshing's fascinating. You know, uh, the wheat's taken and, and, and it's, it's threshed and the kernels drop to the threshing floor. Those are the kernels that are valuable, that can be eaten, and the chaff blows away. And, and in the Hebrew mindset, it's like, kind of thresh our hearts, thresh our minds, and, and, and keep the kernels of what God's truth is. And let blow away the chaff of those things that can draw us away, that can distract us, that can warp what we see, what we hear, the motives of our lives. In other words, don't get blown away by the storms and the challenges and the temptations, but have those kernels of God's truth within us. And it wraps up in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In other words, our choices so much define our lives and can determine our future, both for this life. See, sometimes we might think, I got away with it. I think I can get away with it. Well, first of all, I've known very few people who've gotten away with it. There may be a few, but the vast majority of people, eventually it catches up. Okay? We also don't sleep very well at night when we know there's stuff. Okay? The other thing is this, but there's also eternity. And I don't know about you, but when we come to eternity, I don't want to cower before God ashamed. Instead, I want to stand upright, not because I've been so holy, but because my sins have been nailed to the cross and I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness and I've been a grateful recipient of God's grace that I want to broadcast in my feeble efforts that God's Spirit magnifies to the world around me. So, so oh, and, and, and this is magnified because, did you notice at the end of verse 6, it says, the, because the Lord watches over our ways, okay? The word watches over is the Hebrew word yada, and it means to know. What it's really saying is God knows. We can't fool God. We can't play games. We may be able to fool people for a while, but we can't. With God, our hearts, our minds, our lives are an open book. Now, I know what you might be thinking, and, 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 and I've, I've thought this many times. Wait, wait a minute, Greg. See, I've, I've made a mess of some things with some of my choices. I've made some decisions, and I... And I have some guilt and there's some wreckage and I guess I've just blown it. But let's remember God's grace. 
let's remember that wherever we are, whatever choices we've made, whatever wreckage there might be, whatever guilt that we might feel, Jesus takes all of that upon the cross, and he, he takes it himself, and he pays the price for it. He extinguishes it, and then we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, and we're called God's beautiful, beloved children. Let's be quick to repent. Let's not let Satan say, oh, 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 did you hear that message? You don't measure up because you have made good choices. That's Satan. God's Spirit says, oh, my beloved child, uh, 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 come home. Come home through confession. Come home through repentance. And let's bring healing and let's, let's bring change to the future. And, 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 and I'll strengthen that little res, reflective stripe of my guidance through the fog of life. You know, we may be feeling like, boy, these are hard truths because sometimes following Jesus uh, has sacrificial choices, right? And sometimes following Jesus is really challenging, okay? But, but let's remember this. Jesus only asks us to do what Jesus has already done. And so when we think, oh, man, that, that'll be a significant sacrifice to take that step, or at least what feels like us. You know, so often in my life when I thought, oh, this is a big sacrifice for God, it's ended up being something that I look back on and say, oh, God, what a great blessing, okay? But in, in, in the now, in the short term, in, in what we can see, uh, so often like, oh, this is going to be so sacrificial. Well, remember this. Jesus sacrificed leaving heaven to become one of us and sacrificed his life on the cross to bring us home to himself. Imagine if Jesus would have said, you know, this is too costly. Where would we be? And that's what it means to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and carry whatever cross it is. Fortunately, for most of us, all of us, it won't be being nailed to a cross, right? But there will be those crosses, those, challenge, those sacrifices God will call us to make. Or, or, or maybe it's, wow, this is going to be really difficult to obey. I really don't want to do this. I really feel like I'm, this is going to be tough to obey. Imagine if Jesus would have not obeyed. See, he never asks us to do what he hasn't already done. He, the only God in human history who only asks us to do what he's done. No other deity became human, sacrificed himself. From the safety of heaven, they've said, hey, die in battle or merge in the God consciousness or obey all these laws. Jesus says, do what I have already chosen to do for you in my footsteps. And so we might think this could be really hard to obey Jesus here. It was hard for Jesus to obey. Don't think that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating drops of blood and Jesus had an unanswered prayer or an answer no, and, and he said, Father, you know, if you could take this cup from me, in other words, if there's another way besides this suffering of the cross, could you do that now? But not my will, but your will be done. And don't think Jesus on the cross couldn't have just said, I, I, am, I am done with this. And boom, and come down off the, he's God in the flesh. And call down lightning, boom, wipe out the Roman soldiers. You know, he said, Mary Magdalene, let's, let's go home. And they get married, and he's the... And he's the rabbi of the synagogue in Bethlehem, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He obeyed. So when he asks us to obey, even when it's the hard, rocky road of obedience, he's only asking us to do what he has already shown us and done for us. And we can go on and on and on with this. Like, man, it's going to take a lot of generosity. You know, to be generous, I'm going to have to change my life. I'm going to have to give some things up. We're going to have to, like, spend a little less. We're going to have to make some tough choices 
if we're going to become more generous. Remember, Jesus, Jesus didn't give 10%. Jesus didn't say, you know, I'll get to, you know, that. Jesus generously gave of himself to us. He's the generous God. How could we not be generous in response? All right, wrapping it up. When I was growing up, I always thought about the moment. Maybe you had these fantasies about this moment, okay? It's like, it's the ninth inning of the World Series, and I'm on the mound, okay? I'm playing for the Dodgers. I'm a West Coast guy, okay? And uh, bottom of the ninth, right? Hard slider, strikeout. Ah, the crowd goes crazy, interviewed, and I'm like, well, I'd like to give glory to God or whatever. You know what I mean, okay? And it's like, yes. Or maybe for you, it's music. You match, oh man, it's like Carnegie Hall, and I hit all my notes and I play, and it's like, oh, it's beautiful. You know, and your parents are like, oh, you're the greatest, and all these people, right? But here's what we forget we forget that standing behind that moment is years and years and years and years of practice and training. I played baseball in college, and I both pitched and played first, and then also DH. So, I had to go all winter long. I mean, early morning, we would take 100 cuts in the batting cage. We'd take 50 ground balls on the gym floor, but with this kind of turf stuff to try to make it at least, you know, less, less like a, a hardwood floor. I'd do my long tossing, weight room, running, all that kind of stuff. And you see, we don't see that. All we see is the moment. The same principle is true for our decision moments. You see, that, that decision moment, most of that is determined today and tomorrow and the next day of what training and what equipping and what preparation we've done for when those moments come of those decisions or those temptations or those choices. So I just want to say, starting today, God is the lover of our soul. This isn't some kind of thing where like, oh boy, I better start. Hey, this is the God who says, I love you. Let's meet together. God's not narcissistic. It's not for God. God doesn't need anything. It's because God wants us to experience the fullness of God's vision, God's destiny, and God's calling for our lives and shape us more like Christ, to experience the joy of being more like Christ and of making a difference in our world. Amen? That's the lover of our souls. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.